in many ways, Islam and communism are very much aligned ideologically. So in that sense, and they, then they also have a common enemy, namely Christ and his church. So it kind of makes sense why they would be aligned. The conflict between Ukraine and Russia shows no sign of slowing down. In fact, things are, seem to be heating up, and it seems like a lot of parties are pushing for war, even nuclear war. At least nobody's hiding from it. Well, we have a very interesting guest with us today. Matt Gaspers is the managing editor of Catholic Family News, and I saw him about five years ago give a talk about Russia. It was actually about Russia and Islam, and... I'd love to talk to him about what's going on with Russia, because we were expecting, of course, Russia's conversion since Pope Francis did a consecration of Russia. But there's all sorts of controversy there. Obviously, that's not happened. There was also promised to be peace in the world. We're certainly not seeing that. So what are we going to get to? Stay tuned for this episode of The John Henry Weston Show with Matt Gaspers. Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, John Henry. Good to see you. Let's begin, as you always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, let's talk first of all about the situation. Right now, the world is in real consternation, although a lot of people don't seem to be paying much attention to it. Uh, back in the day when it was the Cold War and, you know, there was nuclear talk on the horizon from, from political leaders, people were practicing how to hide under their desks. We're not having much of that, but it's being spoken of by world leaders nonetheless. What's your take on what's going on right now in Russia, Ukraine and, and the conflict? Yeah, I agree. It's a very serious situation. I just noticed the other earlier this week, actually, I saw a headline that says um, Russia is, quote, willing to speak with Pope Francis about the war in Ukraine. And the, the lead line says Russian president, uh, presidential spokesman Dmitry Peskov said his government is willing to talk with Pope Francis, the United States and France to find a solution to the war in Ukraine. And he's quoted as saying, we are willing to discuss all this, meaning the situation in Ukraine, with the Americans, with the French, and with the pontiff. So that's an interesting development. There's a prophecy running around that I've spoken of before um, with one of the experts on Garabandel that talks about how once the pope uh, leaves or he goes to visit Russia once he returns, uh, Moscow that is, once he returns, uh, that war would break out in Europe. Um, so that would be a very interesting development indeed. In fact, Francis said before coming to Canada, as he just recently did, that he would be still going to Moscow. So very, very interesting. I think that there are bad actors on both sides. I mean, I do think that the West and NATO, et cetera, has really, they seem to really want this conflict. They've kind of been, by adding more and more countries and expanding eastward, the, the NATO alliance uh, which Russia has made very clear is a non-negotiable, you know, existential threat to our to our country, and that we will we will eventually respond if you continue to do this. 
I think there was a lot of things, very messed up things that happened in Ukraine during the Obama administration in 2013, 2014, which I know we have audio recordings of, forget the late, I think her last name was Newland, basically admitting on tape to helping install this puppet regime that Washington wanted, the Obama administration wanted. I really appreciated earlier this year, uh, Patrick Delaney's report for LifeSite News called Monumental Provocation, how U.S. and international policymakers deliberately baited Putin to war. It's a very well-sourced, very thorough, lengthy report on all of this with lots of, of sources linked in it. Absolutely. He's got another one of those right now as well uh, about the recent uh, taking out of the pipeline and what that means for Europe and the responsibility there. So check that out as well. I don't want to certainly don't want to pretend that the West is somehow the the innocent victim in all of this. I don't think that's true. But at the same time, I also have to we also have to remember that Vladimir Putin himself back in uh, July of 2001 signed a treaty of good neighborliness and friendly cooperation with communist China. And it says in the text that they have, quote, the hope of promoting and establishing a just and fair new world order based on universally recognized principles and norms of international laws. And we also know that uh, just before the start of this current conflict, uh, Vladimir Putin went to the communist China for the beginning of, I think it was the Olympic Games, and released a, um, a statement with President Xi Jinping. This, so this is their joint statement that they issued just before the conflict broke out. I think it was issued like February 4th, something like that. Today, the world is going through momentous changes and humanity is entering a new era of rapid development and profound transformation, including, quote, transformation of the global governance architecture and world order. So in my view, the new world order, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, has Western and Eastern branches competing for dominance. So I, I mean, that's kind of my general take on the situation. But you know, from heaven's perspective, Russia has been chosen very much like St. Paul was chosen to be a vessel of election, is what God referred to uh, St. Paul, to be an instrument of conversion for the Gentiles, for the whole world. And, you know, that's that's where Russia, play, you know, where it comes into the conversion of the Muslims and the end of Islam, as I said in my 2017 talk, it's all connected to the message of Our Lady of Fatima and her promise that in the end, her Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, Our Lady said, and she will be converted and a period of peace will be granted to the world. So those are the promised fruits. Those are the promised fruits that we have to look for. And specifically, we need to understand that the word conversion, according to Sister Lucia herself, uh, I want to read this quote that I have here that I mentioned in my 2017 talk, because it's very important to understand a lot of people will tell you uh, that, you know, Sister Lucia thought or, or the word conversion simply means the fall of the Soviet Union, and that is not so. Um, Father, a priest named Father Joaquin Alonso, who was the, the official Fatima archivist for over 16 years and conducted numerous one-on-one -on -one interviews with Sister Lucia during that time, he wrote uh, in 1976, in his book, The Truth About the Secret of Fatima, he wrote the following. Lucia has always thought that the conversion of Russia does not extend only to a return of the Russian people 
to the Christian Orthodox religion while rejecting the Marxist atheism of the Soviets. And if you think about it for a minute, it makes perfect sense because when Our Lady came in 1917 and she said Russia would be converted, that's what she already was, Russian Orthodox. So in order, you know, when Our Lady says conversion, she doesn't mean returning to a state of objective schism and heresy. She, uh, as Sister Luz, as this quote goes on from Father Alonzo, he says, uh, but conversion refers simply and fully to the total and integral conversion by a return to the unique and true Roman Catholic Church. You know, Russian Christians before the Great Schism and even technically even after the Great Schism for a couple centuries were in communion with Rome. So she's talking about a return to Catholic unity. And it's obvious, I think, to, well, it should be obvious to everyone, but I think at this point it should be that Russia just isn't there. Um, it's not there in terms of Catholicism, obviously. They, I mean, I was in, in Russia in 20, um, I believe it was 2018, but, you know, you had to drive 45 minutes to find a Catholic church. Um, so there's a real repression of Catholicism in Russia. And, but also, uh, you know, the, obviously what's going on with the war and the brutality of it is another sign that there, there is definitely something up with Russia and there's no peace as well. I'm not saying there's any great shakes about Zelenko either. We know he's in the, in the antithesis of what you'd want as a leader um, because he's he's pro-death and, and the whole anti-family agenda is strong with him. But yes, very, very confusing times, but evidently there is no yet conversion of Russia or peace being granted to the world. And yet there was that, uh, you know, consecration of Russia to Our Lady by Pope Francis. And so people are left to wonder, what does that mean? One of the things I think it certainly means uh, is that, our, you know, it must be something other than Our Lady's promise. Our Lady's promise is sure. Fatima is sure. That message is sure. We have no doubt whatsoever about that. So we have to then look at what's what. Is it just to be a great delay or is that not the case? And if it's not the case, then what really is up? So if, I'd love for you to take a shot at that first. It's very important for people to understand that Our Lady gave very specific conditions for the fulfillment of the consecration. And I note them in, in articles I've written about Pope Francis's March 25th consecration. So in short, there are basically five things that need to be fulfilled simultaneously. First of all, it must be the Pope who publicly performs the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Hence, number two, he must name Russia explicitly as the object of consecration. And as we know from the wording uh, of Pope Francis's consecration, he did name Russia, but Russia did not actually appear as the sole object of consecration. This is what he said. He said, quote, therefore, mother of God and our mother, to your immaculate heart, we solemnly entrust and consecrate ourselves, referring to everyone who was in St. Peter's Basilica for the ceremony. And he also said, the church and all humanity, especially Russia and Ukraine, Accept this act that we carry out with confidence and love. Grant that war may end and peace spread throughout the world. Sadly, that has not yet happened, what, what Pope Francis asked of Our Lady, that war may end and peace spread throughout the world. You could argue that, obviously, it was the Pope who did the consecration. He did name Russia explicitly, but then we get to the third criteria, which Our Lady specified, 
uh, it must be the Pope, the Pope must order all the bishops of the world to make the consecration of Russia to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. Um, and then it has to be in union with him and at the same time. So Pope Francis did issue uh, through the apostolic nunciatures throughout the world an invitation to bishops, and he strongly encouraged them, but it was not technically a command to participate in the ceremony with him. And something else that our that Sister Lucia mentioned as necessary in order for the consecration to actually convert Russia, uh, this is the fifth criteria, the public ceremony must involve a conspicuous day of prayer and worldwide reparation. Number one, we obviously haven't seen the promised fruits. We have not seen the conversion of Russia to Catholic unity, nor have we seen an, you know, a miraculous period of peace granted to the world. Um, Our Lady did not promise that those things would happen instantaneously after the consecration. But as I've said before, I don't think there can be too much time there can't be so much time in between the act of consecration and the, you know, the promised fruits that there becomes a disconnect in people's minds uh, between the cause and effect relationship of the two things. So, you know, if it, if, if it didn't happen for like two or three generations, I don't think most people would put the two things together as, oh, that consecration caused these things. I think it has to be relatively close in time in order to keep that intact. I think the great apostle of Fatima, Father Gruner, he probably thought it was going to be so close that there would be no mistaking. And perhaps he gave hints that that was the reason why all the bishops of the world had to do it, not whenever they wanted in the same day and on different time zones, but actually all at the same exact moment. Because I think he believed uh, with with he's probably the most studied or was the most studied guy on on the question of Fatima itself. Um, he believed that it would be sort of instantaneous, or at least so related that people could see on this hour at this time. And that's very biblical. Um, remember when Christ heals people, they will go home and inquire, what was the hour that this, you know, my, my daughter was better again? I was right when Christ said those words. So there is that relation already scripturally that's in the divine plan. So that sounds like it could be something, um, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. So We'll see what, what it brings. Since you brought up Father Gruner, I do have an interesting quote to share with you. He, was, he spoke about this, uh, what, it, what it would look like, uh, kind of the process of Russia converting and such. 2007 conference speech that he gave, and I quoted in my uh, 2017 talk, he said, quote, In the prophetic visions of St. John Bosco, we see that the Pope will not consecrate Russia until Russia invades the West. St. John Bosco had a vision of the Russian armies in France, and they have not been there yet this century for the last 100 years. They will bring with them a black standard or a black flag. While they are in France, their standard will turn from black to white. That moment will be when Russia has been consecrated and it has converted. The Russian armies then will stay in France and Western Europe, not as enemies, but as friends to defend Europe from the invasion from the South. As St. John Bosco summarizes his dream, salvation is from the North, danger is from the South, meaning the Islamic armies that are marching into Europe. The Russians stay there, Father Gruner said, when they are converted and defeat the Islamic armies and save Europe. 
So that's very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Yeah, I'd love to hear your take with regard to Russia and Islam and how all that figures in right now. So something else I brought up in my 2017 talk is that uh, there's really been a historically a, an alliance between Soviet Russia, which I know doesn't the Soviet Union fell in 1991, um, but some some insiders have argued that it was actually more of a controlled demolition than really a, a, a an organic crumbling of the regime. Soviet Russia, it's been well documented, had a very vested interest in co-opting Islam and using its adherents for their own purposes. And that's been documented by two Soviet defectors, both of whom have close ties to the KGB. They are both now deceased. Uh, the first one is Anatoly Golitsyn, who died in 2008. He's the author of two very important books, New Lies for Old and The Perestroika Deception. And the other is uh, Ion Mahai Pachepa, who died more recently. And he's the former head of intelligence for communist Romania who defected to the U.S. in 1978. And he wrote a book called Disinformation in 2013. So starting with uh, Galitzin, he wrote in uh, New Lies for Old, published in 1984, quote, as a special word needs to be said on the exploitation of religion and leading churchmen in the communist world for strategic political purposes. You know, the Russian Orthodox Church for decades has been infested with, um, you know, basically couldn't become a bishop if you weren't a KGB agent. And sadly, that's still the case with their current patriarch is, uh, is former KGB. Um, but going on in uh, New Lies for Old, he says, in March 1965, the first conference of Muslims of Asia and Africa was held in Indonesia. 35 countries were represented. The Mufti of Central Asia and Kazakhstan, Babakhanov, led the Soviet delegation. The conference discussed the use of Muslim proselytizing societies as weapons against imperialism, meaning the West. The need to harness Islam, Galitsyn said, to the service of the revolution has been openly discussed by communist strategists. Based on Soviet experience in Central Asia, like the former Soviet republics ending in Stan, like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, uh, Galitsyn wrote, the problem of achieving this is considered difficult but soluble. And he went on to say in a footnote to that section of the text, um, he's quoting a Soviet Afghan scholar who wrote, quote, Albeit difficult, it is fully realistic in some way to enlist Islam in serving the revolution and the building of a new life. You know, at first glance, it seems very strange that there would be collaboration, cooperation between an atheistic communist system and a religion. Um, but as I also discuss in my talk, they're actually ideological allies in many ways. Uh, I quote pretty extensively from a Professor of history from, let me make sure I get his name right, uh, Professor Dennis Dunn, who teaches at uh, Texas State University and he specializes in Russian history. He's written a couple of books on the subject. And he explains in one of his books called uh, A History of Orthodox Islamic and Western Christian Political Values, basically demonstrates how Orthodox, Russian Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy in general, but Russian specifically, and Islam agree on several different things. First of all, that the church or the mosque 
and state should be virtually a single entity. Uh, in orthodoxy, the state sadly controls the church, and in Islam, it's the other way around. The mosque controls the state. Uh, number two, the ruler's power should be absolute. In other words, beyond scrutiny from subordinates. Government should be centralized and admit of no self-direction for local communities. In other words, totalitarian. The community as a whole always trumps the individual or smaller groups within society. So it's a form of collectivism. And then finally, the central government should control the economy. So as I said in my talk, right away, we should recognize the stark contrast between this value system that I just described and the one held by Western civilization, which holds the principles such as the rule of law, first and foremost, the natural law, to which even the ruler himself is subject, obviously individual freedom and responsibility, uh, the principle of subsidiarity, a healthy distinction between church and state as being sovereign institutions with uh, complementary God-given missions but they shouldn't be run by one or the other. They are distinct and lots of other things like that. So uh, in many ways, Islam and communism are very much aligned ideologically. So in that sense, and they, then they also have a common enemy, namely Christ and his church. So it kind of makes sense why they would be aligned. Yeah, it's also fascinating because in terms of Catholic prophecy, there was Catholic prophecy that that the Vatican would be invaded by Islam, uh, not not so much by the Russians. But uh, so I I just wondered how that would be. But your your um, quote there about how from they'd invade from the south does does seem to make sense. But as as things line up, there are lots of Catholic prophecies concerning all of this kind of specifically regarding two uh, figures, the great monarch you may have heard of, who's supposed to arise. That's in lots of different private revelations, church approved private revelations, prophecies, and then also the angelic Pope, who's supposed to kind of be his spiritual counterpart to lead this Catholic renaissance throughout the world. And part of it definitely has to address the situation with Islam. So in there's a book that was originally published in 1970 by Yves Dupont called Catholic Prophecy, The Coming Chastisement. It's available from Tan Books. And he gives kind of a general over before going into the particular prophecies, he gives a general overview of the contents of the book in which is included the following. Before the rise of the, the great monarch and the angelic pope, he says, quote, the whole world will be involved in the fighting. There'll be some sort of world like global war going on. A unique feature is the internal disintegration of the Western democracies and the invasion of Western Europe by Arab forces. The roles of the USA and USSR, or Russia, he was writing in 1970, so it was still the Soviet Union. The roles of the US and, and Russia are not clear in the beginning. The USA may be involved in the Far East or at home or both. The USSR may want to keep out of the fray at first while abetting the Arab world or may be involved in Siberia. He goes on to say, civil wars will rage in Western Europe. The church is persecuted. The Pope leaves Rome and dies in exile. And that certainly aligns with the message of Fatima in light of the third secret text that was released in 2000. We know he will be killed by a group of soldiers who fired bullets and arrows at him. He also says, DuPont says, an anti-pope is installed in Rome. He goes on, the, the Catholic Church is split, leaderless, and completely disorganized. Communism is victorious. 
the Mohammedans invade Europe and commit innumerable atrocities. And this also seems to align with some uh, another prophecy given uh, by Our Lady to a an Italian nun named Elena Aiello, who uh, died in 1961. Uh, she was a, the foundress of the Minim Tertiaries of the Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ and Religious Order. And in the year 1960, providentially the same year that the Third Secret was supposed to be uh, read by the Pope and revealed to the world, uh, she said the following, or Our Lady rather, said the following to Sister Elena, quote, the hour of the justice of God is close and will be terrible. Tremendous scourges are impending over the world, and various nations are struck by epidemics, famines, great earthquakes, horrific hurricanes, with overflowing rivers and seas which bring ruin and death. If the people do not recognize in these scourges of nature the warnings of divine mercy and do not return to God with truly Christian living, another terrible war will come from the east to the west. Russia, with her secret armies, will battle America, will overrun Europe. The river Rhine will be overflowing with corpses and blood. Italy also will be harassed by a great revolution, and the Pope will suffer greatly. Our world is completely upside down, and uh, it looks like, you know, it was the quote of, I think it was the wife of Billy Graham, who said, if God doesn't do something soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, but it, it certainly seemed like that for such a long time now, because we, we've gone so far beyond uh, even even gay marriage, which was probably one of the things that, that set everything afoot with regard to Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet here we're we're just continuing down this road uh, into transgender and and the surgeries on the kids themselves, intergenerational sex. We've opened the total Pandora's box, and we're getting to the dregs of it. I don't I don't know where else we can go. Um, so a chastisement does seem fitting um, for all of us, though. You know. We have looked to Our Lady Fatima, to these promises, especially that for peace. Having studied this, looked at this yourself, you've got family, you've got young kids. What's what's your outlook? You're still you still look hopeful rather than dour about what we're what we're facing right now. What's what's the source of that hope? A lot of it has to do with with the message of Our Lady of Fatima, studying that and knowing you know that God confirmed the message of Our Lady of Fatima with a a miracle of biblical proportions, as you know, on October 13th, 1917, probably the, the 20th century's best kept secret in many ways. Um, oh, a crowd of over 70,000 people saw the sun dance in the sky, you know, emitting all the different colors of the rainbow. And it had been raining the whole night beforehand. You know, people were walking in mud up to their ankles. And at the end of this this public miracle, which lasted, I think, around 10 minutes or so, uh, people realized that their clothes were completely dry and clean, uh, almost as if Our Lady had cleaned all of them up personally as the good mother that she is. So we know that this message has the seal of approval of Almighty God himself through that miracle. And Our Lady said, as I quoted earlier, in the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and she shall be converted. 
and a period of peace will be granted to the world. And she revealed that, of course, to the three shepherd children, the oldest of whom became Sister Lucia, a nun. And throughout Sister Lucia's life, Our Lady continued to appear to her periodically. To, she was basically the apostle, you might say, of, of the message of Our Lady of Fatima. And on one occasion, I remember Our Lady telling her that, you know, the Pope will do the consecration, but it will be late. And that probably means that it will, you know, things will get pretty bad before the, the, the definitive consecration actually happens, whether or not that was the, the consecration Francis did on March 25th of this year or not. Um, things, it will be a dire situation. But we, you know, the hope that we have is that Our Lady tells the truth and we can trust in her promise that in the end, her Immaculate Heart will triumph and Russia will be converted. We will have a period of peace. I think the most important thing for all of us as individual Catholics, Christians, is to stay close to Our Lady, certainly praying the rosary, doing the, the five first Saturdays uh, devotion of making reparation to her Immaculate Heart. Sister Lucia said in one of her letters to her spiritual director that whether or not the world has war or peace depends on uh, the practice of this devotion, referring to the first Saturday's devotion, as well as the consecration of Russia. So the laity do have their part to play in in making those uh, communions of reparations, doing the things that Our Lady said to do on the first Saturday of each month, uh, going to confession, receiving communion, praying five decades of the rosary and spending 15 minutes meditating on the mysteries of the rosary, all with the intention of making a reparation to her immaculate heart. So I think we have to do our part and we'll trust that that God and Our Lady will come through at the time, at the appointed time. Amen to that. We're always in his hands. And uh, he will never give us anything that uh, that we can't bear up under. He won't give us a cross too heavy for us with his grace, of course. Matt Gaspers, thank you so much for being with us. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? I'd encourage everyone to visit the website of Catholic Family News, which is the company I work for. It's catholicfamilynews.com. We publish a, a monthly journal. It's, it comes in print form, like a newspaper form, basically. Uh, but it also has the full, we also do the full paper in an e-edition for those interested in that. Uh, so you can visit our website and click on the new subscription tab to learn about how to subscribe to our monthly publication. We also do a weekly news roundup show, uh, usually on Thursdays, uh, which we do through our YouTube channel. And then we post it as well on Rumble. So check out our Catholic Family News YouTube channel, our Rumble channel. Please subscribe to those. And, and thank you all for your support. Awesome, Matt. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this video. And to see more like this, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. So check out our links in the description to read more, sign up for our newsletter, and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all of the latest life, family, and culture news. Thanks for watching. And may God bless you.